My name is Pastor Edwin Colon. I am grateful to be here with you. I'm so glad that you're here. So today, today we're, we're finishing our series on praying through, or God, um, God's through way, praying through our emotions. And what we've been saying this whole time, is we've been saying that emotions, there are two ways, main ways, that we can deal with our emotions. One, I mean, there's more, but there's two main. One is that we can stuff our emotions, and that'll make us sick. Or we can vent our emotions, uh, our emotions, but that's not enough because, quite frankly, you know, we think we vent our emotions that we've dealt with something, but we haven't. But no. We're to pray our emotions. And today we're going to talk about anger. What do we do with anger? Now listen to me. I didn't say pray about our emotions. I said pray our emotions. We're not going to be praying about our anger. We're going to be praying our anger. We're going to look at a text. But I want to warn you, this text is extra strength honest. There's a level of rawness to this text that is shocking. It's shocking like when you put a microphone, have you ever seen that? You know, you put a microphone in front of a, a person who just had a lost one and you put a TV camera on them and sometimes they can say some strong things. I'm reminded of a man, who, they put a camera in front of him after the man who had raped and murdered his daughter, after he had been executed, and they put the camera in front of him, and they said, well, how do you feel? And he said, it wasn't enough. After he was executed. Because anger and bitterness can have their way in our lives, can have control of our lives. Anger and bitterness have a way of polluting every relationship, even if the relationship that we have is not the direct result of the anger. In other words, if, if my wife is not the, um, the, the focus of my anger, anger and bitterness and unforgiveness can affect my relationship with my wife, with my kids. Anger, rage, bitterness, unforgiveness, that cannot get compartmentalized. You don't just put that, I hate this person here, but I love everybody else. It has a way of poisoning. It's almost like, it's almost like having, anger is like having a, a glass of water and then just putting a drop of poison on the corner of that glass. How much of that water does that affect? Oh, all of it, right? Every bit of it is dangerous. That's what anger is like. So today we're going we're gonna to look at the scriptures because God knows, God knows that there are things in your past that are polluting your present. God knows that there is an anger and a rage, things that have consumed you that can affect how you relate to your spouse, react to your friends, Deal with circumstances. Now, I, I want to say something really, 
This is the recovery house of worship. Now, I understand that, like, these messages, and I'm kind of conscious of this, that these messages go out to people that none of us will ever meet on different continents of the world, and not all of them are, are addicts. But I want to speak to the recovery house of worship. I want to speak to those of you. Anger, sometimes, for some of us, it's a way of life. It, it's just in the air we breathe. And some people will come up to you and say, hey, why are you so angry? And you'll say something like, I'm not angry. And, and I want you to know that there's a solution in Christ's word. There's a solution in Christ. There's a resolution for your anger. Because your bitterness, your anger will keep you stuck. Now, here's the thing about unforgiveness, about anger, about bitterness. It feels like we need to give back, to give back the pain that was given to us. It feels like we need to even up the odds. I want you to know that in that game, there's no even. There's no even. It only gets worse and worse and worse and worse. We even have language for this stuff. When people harm us, what do we say? We say things like this. We say, I'll pay you back. Because we're, we're going to get you back. We're going to, there's going to be a sense where we try to equal the playing field, and not just equal the playing field, but one-up them. Beloved, that is not, that is not where our hope lies. Our hope does not lie in evening the play field. Our hope doesn't lie in getting others back. See, here's what I need you to know. Anger incarcerates. Forgiveness freeze. And some of you right now, like this second, you're incarcerated. You wouldn't call it that, but that's what you are. You're incarcerated. You're stuck. Your rage has brought you to a place of isolation. Your rage has brought you to a place where you can't go further. Anger incarcerates. Forgiveness freeze. So let's look at a text that, again, is shocking in its brutal rawness. And let's see what we can glean from it. We're going to look at Psalm 137. If you've never read Psalm 137, this is a breathtaker. Let me give you some, let me give you some context. So in Psalm 137, uh, what has happened, as happens in ancient culture... There's, and this still happens today. I mean, it's been going on for as long as man has been around. A larger nation or tribe attacks a smaller nation or tribe. This larger nation is called Babylon. This smaller nation is called Israel. The larger nation attacks and conquers the smaller nation. Now, here's something that you need to know about Babylon. Babylon had a tradition, and this is not unique to Babylon, but they followed this pretty thoroughly. 
where when they conquered the nation, they usually, you know, they decimated the land, they destroyed the religious, uh, you know, they took any gold or they, I mean, they were vicious to the men. The women did not fare any better. But one of the things that they did, one of the hallmarks that they did was when they conquered the land, they didn't want a next generation to, to attack them, to come back. And, and it would be too much, because remember, the, the people that they're getting from these lands, they're going to use them as slaves. So it's not like they could have mothers nurse their baby. It would make them unproductive. So how do you make it so that the next generation doesn't come at you and that you free up the mother to be a slave and work till she dies? Here's what you do. You take their baby, you by the feet, and then you slam that baby's head on the ground or on a wall. That's what you did. Then you carried away the people in their grief so that they could be slaves and then they could be uh, tortured. And listen, the women, the women were treated horrifically. It was not a good time. It's this environment. It's in this reminder that Psalm 137 was written. They're getting back to Israel, but they're remembering the captivity, the slaughter, the rape, the plunder, the evilness. Now, before we read it, and we're going to read it, haven't you experienced, maybe not to that degree, but an injustice that you just go, that is not right. You deserve punishment for that. I mean, maybe not to that degree, but maybe it was a, a spouse who said that they were going to be with you forever and then broke your heart, just totally um, uh, uh, broke the, 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 the marriage covenant. Maybe, maybe it was uh, an employer who was dirty and did you wrong and you got blamed for something that you, that you never did and you lost your job and your way of providing for your family. Maybe it was an institution that denied you services even though they were giving services to other people and it seemed like you were coming up against some real opposition even when it shouldn't have been there. See, all of us have experienced moments where we feel so unjustly abused that anger wells up. Now, as an aside, I want to say this. There's a way to be angry and not sin. That's, so let me, let me tell you what I mean by this. If you hear the words, child, prostitution, and that doesn't fill you with rage. Like that's an actual, that's a, that's, that's a thing. Child, prostitution. If that doesn't get you angry, then, then you're not angry about the right things. If when you see that uh, people in some countries are dying over uh, the mumps or the measles, things that have been solved decades ago, and you don't get angry at that, there's something wrong with you. There are good things to be angry about. 
But when we talk about becoming angry, one of the safest or one of the best ways that we can identify if we're right, rightly angry is if what we're angry about is something that God is angry about. And what we're angry about is something that uh, God wants us to do something about. Now, as we look at this text, we see the injustice, we see the pain, we see the suffering. So let's, let's look at that with, with that in mind, the unbelievable brutality. You can, see, you can almost hear the tears fall to the ground as we read this. Would you stand with me, as is our tradition in this church, to stand at the reading of God's word? Psalm 137, I'll read it to you. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. That's where they lived, Israel. There on the poplars, the trees. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This is God's word. What do you do with that? It's tough. So let's look at it. Let's look at it and let's see what's here. Now, I'm sure if you just saw your son and your daughter have their heads smashed up against rocks, I'm sure that your prayer would be a lot more merciful and sensitive than this prayer. The reason I believe that God has put this in there is because there's nothing that you could pray that God won't have an open ear to. God wants, you to. God wants you and wants me to know that he's open to our hearts. And I know for some of us, we go, oh, no, 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 don't pray like that, don't pray like that. No, 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 listen. God knows what's in our hearts. And he wants to be able to minister to us. So let's look at the, let's look at the first two verses. Actually, we'll do it this way. I want you to see, the first thing I want you to see in this text, there's two things I want you to see in the text, and then there's three meditations that I want to leave you with that we on the other side of the cross, uh, that are the reason why we on the other side of the cross don't pray this prayer. We're not going to pray like this. We understand that this was his prayer. We understand the pain that came from it. But we're not going to pray like this because of the three meditations that I'm going to give you. But first, I want, to, I want to show you two observations that are in the text. Let's look at it. First observation is that this psalmist expresses his anger. He expresses his anger. Notice he doesn't vent his anger. 
He doesn't stuff his anger. He expresses his anger to an almighty God who, by the way, is listening. He hears. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps for their captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded us songs of joy. Think about how, how awful that is. You just saw your wife raped. You just saw your kids destroyed. You just saw your husband run through with a sword. And they go, come on, pray one of those upbeat things. You know what they're doing. They're mocking them. After they've done all this, they're mocking them because the songs of Zion are songs of worship about God's power. God, you are powerful and great, merciful and true. No enemy can overcome you. Songs like that. And yet, it feels like the enemy has overcome them. They're adding insult to injury. They're saying, sing us one of those songs of joy. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. He expresses his anger. This is, this is an outrage. How can, I, how can I go on? This is not something to hold inside. You can't stuff this kind of injustice, this kind of anger down. And if you don't express it, it'll start eating you Alive. It's a terrible thing when someone asks you, hey, what are you angry about? And you go, nothing. Let me tell you why it's a terrible thing. Number one, nobody has ever asked me that while I was laughing. Nobody has ever asked me, hey, are you okay? Are you angry? Nobody has ever asked me that because I was cool or chill or relaxed. They're asking for a reason. And for some of us, anger is such a way of life. We just don't know anything. We know, we know sleep and anger. It's the two motions we run on. We go, we're either unconscious or we're angry. And so, this is, this is I'm going to express my anger. You know, yesterday, I don't do this very well at all. At all. I don't express my emotions very well. Um, and so usually when my wife, you know, goes like this, she'll say, hey, Ed, why are you, um, hey, Ed, are you upset? Are you angry? I'll go, no, 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 no. Knowing full well, I'm very angry at that moment. <laughs> and so I go, no, 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 I don't want to talk about it. I want to express it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to confront it. I don't want to share it. And what it does is it winds up, it winds up hurting the people around me. And it winds up, and winds up hurting me. Yesterday, my wife goes, hey, you look a little upset. I was like, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. And I was able to tell, well, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed about these things that happened. I was given an opportunity for something that didn't go exactly the way I wanted, so I was super disappointed about it. But it was just the expression of it, just to be able to talk about it. Would you, would you consider Recovery House of Worship a place, a safe place? Would you... Consider it a safe place to express your anger. I'm not talking about throwing a chair across the room or anything like that. But what I am, and, and you know, sometimes I get that. I get that. Sometimes, you know, I know what that's like. But what I am saying is that you have people around you who you can express your anger to. 
Anger is not something you should deal with on your own. It should be expressed. He doesn't just express his anger. He prays his anger. we got to move quickly. He prays his anger. He goes, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May... In other words, he's saying, God, I'm not going to forget where you've taken us out of. I'm not, for, I'm not forgetting the beauty of the gift that you've given. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord. He prays it. He says, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. You know what the Edomites did? The Edomites took the time. It was a neighboring nation. They took the time to come over as these people are being carted away, you probably have seen this, right? They're, you know, they're in you know, chains or somehow they're being carted away. There's soldiers in front of them. There's soldiers behind them. There's, they're, they're walking down a road, and they're all being carried to captivity. Some, most of them will die on the way over there. And the neighboring nation, as they're walking through the neighboring nation, the neighboring nation felt it compelled to go, good for you. I'm glad this happened to you. Oh, your kids are dead? Good. They were good for nothings anyway. World is a better place now that your husband's dead. World is a better place now that your woman had a real man. Oh, my. Oh, my. The Edomites come out, and he says, but he, listen to me. He's brutalized by it. But what does he do? He says, God, remember them. You remember them. That, and here's what it says, it says, tear it down. This is the exact quote. They cried. This is what the Edomites are crying out. Tear it down, meaning Jerusalem. Tear it down to its foundations. Wow. Laughing, rejoicing at their pain. Man. And then he finishes his prayer with saying this. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Daughter Babylon, let me go one verse up before that. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to his... This. Now, I want you to see this prayer, and this is a very, very important prayer that I need you to appreciate. Never does he say, I'm going to dash your children against the rocks. What he does is he gives it over to the justice of God. He's saying, God, what, what do people deserve when they've crushed my children's brains against the rocks? What do people deserve when they've raped my wife? God, do to them what they did to us. But notice he doesn't take vengeance on his own hands. The scriptures say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've had experiences when I was young by people who should have known better. And there was all sorts of sexual abuse that happened there. I know some of you can connect with that. And there are some that have never seen anything wrong with what they did. I would not be surprised if there was more people that they had harmed. I would not be surprised if I found them that they were still doing it till this day, 30 years later, 40 years later. I would not be surprised. They don't see anything wrong with what they're doing. I see that 
or I experience that in my heart. And I go, you know, there's just no justice in this world. I go, that person deserves to, to experience the greatest kind of suffering, the greatest kind of pain. But Jesus says, or the scriptures say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so there's going to be a day where God balances all the books. There's going to be a day where those people are either saved because Christ saved them, like he saved me. So Christ pays for their sin. And anybody know how Christ paid for their sin? Died on the cross. What they did deserves the death penalty, Christ. Christ takes that. Or they pay for their own sin. Now, I know that might feel like cold comfort to you, but that's what the psalmist does. He goes, God, you take care of them. You take care of them, because I'm not going to. You take care of them. I leave it in your hands. Now, that's how the psalmist prays. He ends there. We have so much more resources because we're on this side of the cross. So I'm going to give you three reflections, three meditations, three things to think about when you're, trying to, when you're in the process of forgiving someone. Okay, are you ready? If you're writing, I would write these down. One is reflect on Christ's forgiveness. Reflect on Christ's forgiveness. Reflect on Christ's forgiveness. Does anybody remember there was a movie uh, years ago? It's actually the movie, the name of the movie, um, became like, a, like a, a phrase that we say now. It's like a, it's like a hefrang. It's like a saying we say now. It, and it's, it was called Pay It Forward. Anybody remember Pay It Forward? Right? Little kid. He started a thing, movement. It affected the whole world. Anybody remember that? Yeah, okay, great. So Pay It Forward, um, what he had was he wasn't going to pay people back for the bad that they did but he was going to pay forward to other people the good that he had experienced. Now, why is this important for the Christian? Because we have the ultimate in paying it forward. I, my sin, placed Jesus on the cross. I am a murderer. I I am the molester of the innocent. Jesus was beaten and molested, and hung on a cross because of my sin. If I was the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for my sin. And by the way, if I was the only person on earth, it would have been me putting the nails in his hands, which is exactly what happened. My sin put Jesus on the cross. When you've been forgiven that much, When you reflect on the forgiveness that you've received, forgiving others doesn't become insurmountable. Get it? Paying it forward. Jesus has forgiven me my manipulation. Jesus has forgiven me my lies. Jesus has forgiven me my sins. Jesus has forgiven me my murderous, vengeful, sinful heart. Jesus has forgiven me, so I will forgive others. Reflect on the forgiveness of God. If you go, but you don't understand. He betrayed me. And I've never betrayed. Like, you know, we do this to ourselves. We go, all right, because other people's sins, because they're not like our sins, 
what we do is we make them greater than our, and, and that's how we become self-righteous. Does that make sense? In other words, when we see somebody else as a greater sinner than us, then it's easy to be better than them. But when we realize, let's say, for instance, okay, so like I'm a, I'm a let's imagine I'm, a, I'm a, just a, like the, let's paint the most innocent picture. I'm like June Cleaver, right? Like I'm, a, I'm just like an innocent housewife, make sure that she looks and smells pretty for when her husband comes home, cooks the meals, takes care of the kids, keeps the house, like as innocent as they come, right? And husband cheats on her. She, June, goes, you, I never even thought about that. I've never betrayed you. Pause, pause, reflect on Christ's forgiveness. June Cleaver was a Christian, she would be able to say, but wait, I have betrayed my Christ more than once. I have turned, Jesus has been nothing but faithful to me. He has done nothing but provide for me and love me. You want to talk about, I've given you the best years of my life? Jesus not only gave the best years of life, he gave his life. Reflect on the, on the, on, uh, reflect on the, on Christ's forgiveness. So when I, as June Cleaver, go, go, oh my gosh, I've been forgiven. I've been deeply forgiven, even though I'm an adulterous wretch who goes to other gods to find her satisfaction. We reflect on it. Because that's the first meditation. That, beloved, you can't, you can't call that up on the day that you get furious. You can't call that up on the day of injustice. You have to start that now. You have to start praying that now. You have to start reflecting on Christ now. Secondly, I want you to meditate on is do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. There used to be a bracelet that uh, Christians walked around with. Anybody remember this? What would Jesus do? WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? All right. Okay, let's not ponder about what Jesus would do. When, when he was, think about this. Jesus was crucified on the cross for your sins. And from the cross, he goes like this. Father, strike them down. Strike them down right now. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. Some of you are going like, yeah, where is that? It's like second hesitations. He goes, listen to me. All the nails are still in his hands, man. He goes, forgive them. They just, they're clueless. They don't know what they're doing. Beloved, Jesus did that while the nails were still in his hand. Some of us have been removed 20 years from the offense given to us. And we still don't pray that. Of course we don't pray that. We're sinful people, so we need to come back to Christ. I don't have the strength to pray that. You don't have the strength to pray that. That's why we got to go back to Jesus. We're not moralists who try really hard to forgive people. We're wicked people, giving to others what has been so freely bestowed upon us. Do you see the difference? I'm not giving you a law. I'm giving you a reflection. I'm giving you something to meditate on. Do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He forgave, and he forgave deeply, 
And his forgiveness brought healing. Man, meditate on that. Meditate on that. I'm not going to, what would Jesus do in this moment? We already know because he did it already. And he did it for me. Thirdly, and I just want to spend a little bit of time on this. Check your idols. Check your idols. Now, okay, this is very, very important for us to get. If you're new, one of the things that we talk about in our, in our um, congregation is that we don't want to mess around with the fruit of sin. In other words, um, here's a person watching pornography. Here's a person um, cheating on their spouse. Here's a person... Um, you know, uh, lying uh, or stealing or whatever. We don't want to focus on those details. What we want to do is we want, we don't, that, we call that the fruit of sin. We want to get to the root of sin. And so when we get to the root of sin, that's what we call our idols, the gods we pursue. And so if, say for instance, say for instance, if, um, if I'm a, a husband and my wife is not, um, if my wife is not respecting me in front of people, right? So my wife is disrespecting me in front of people. Now that's painful all by itself. Isn't that true? Yeah. But watch this. The reason it's really painful to me, so there's, there's let's look at an idol. It's called um, significance. Power. I used to say power, but now I say significance. Significance. This is an overlonging to have not only influence, but be considered important. Now watch this. She's poking at my idol. That's why I'm so furious. Yes, I have. I'm, yes, I, it's, yeah, I understand why I would be upset, but I'm really, really upset because she's poking at my idol. She's not letting me be as significant as I want to be. Check your idols. It's not just because she made me the butt of her joke. It's because she embarrassed me and I have an image to keep up and I want people to look at me in a particular way and I want, you see that? So it's not the fruit. The fruit of the sin is disrespect. We'll call it disrespect. But the root of the sin is not hers, it's mine. It's that idolatry of significance. Maybe, maybe I find myself in front of a computer screen looking at heinous things. Maybe the reason that I do that is because I'm trying, I have a stressful day and is so much stress that I'm just looking for pleasure, for comfort. That's another idol, comfort. And so I go in front of the screen, and I'm like, oh. I get to exhale, I get pleasure, and then I take a step back. Oh, this is great. This is better than Jesus. You see, in both situations, I'm trying to find significance without Jesus. I'm trying to find comfort without Jesus. It's idolatry. With other situations, my, my uh, uh, friend, let's get out of the marriage uh, illustrations because I'm thinking our marriages feel sufficiently uncomfortable right now. So let's, let's say... Let's say my friend wants to go, uh, you know, to this restaurant, and I, something as silly as my friend wants to go to this restaurant, I want to go to this restaurant, and it becomes a blowout, and we go, why did that become such a big deal? Oh, because they're so selfish, they don't understand. No, 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 it's not because they're so selfish, it's because I worship a God called control. 
And if you poke at my God control, you will feel the wrath. You see? What about, what about, you know what? Another example. I've, I've been in the church, and they don't thank me, and they don't, you know, they, they're not grateful to me. Nobody ever says thank you after all the work I do and all the sacrifice I make here. And it's true. You deserve thanks. You deserve uh, kind gratitude. That's good and wonderful. But this is not just because you didn't get thanks. This is because you have an idol called approval. And unless you get the approval of the people around you, you don't feel significant. So when anger is being poked at you, you've you're, got to watch your idols. You've got to watch your idols. Now, this is such a big subject. This is such a big sh- subject. The next series we go through, we're going to spend five weeks talking about the idols of the heart. You know what we're calling it? We're calling it God's at war. God's at war. In the first week, we're going to talk about an old word, but has deep significance in our lives. In the first week, we're starting this. There, there it is. God's at war. The first week, we're going to talk about repentance. What does true repentance, what is, and it, it, repentance is a funny word, so you, some of you don't understand it. Here's, here's a, quick, a good understanding. What does true, deep, meaningful change look like in my life? I don't want to stay the same. I don't want to be in Christ and stay the same. I don't want to be in Christ and pursue other gods like I've always done. I want to be transformed. Remember, now, uh, we're starting this in July 11th. Am I right about that? July 9th? July 9th. It's the second Sunday of July. Okay? So we're going to look at, you see the first one? The first one is power or significance. It's, and that's an overlonging. It's an over-longing to have influence. The second one is control. You see the old TVs? Remote control? Yeah, yeah. The second one is control. That's an over-longing for pleasure. I'm uh, control. An over-longing for things to go my way. The week after that, we're going to talk about comfort. That's an over-longing to have pleasure come not from Christ, but come from whatever other gods I have. And then there's the little winky emoji, and that's approval. You do not want it. I know in July, but it's nice out. It's the summer. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you don't want to fax this one in. You, don't, you want to be in the room. You want to be here. And you want, because I want to help you change deeply, and permanently. And that can't happen if you're just watching at, jo- at your job. You put the audio in the background while you're doing your work. There needs to be an environment where you sit and you just go, okay, God, I want you to teach me about these things. This series starts July 9th. Well, would you commit? Just make a commitment to yourself right now and say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to invite a friend. I want, I want this to be one of our most powerful series because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is going to move in a powerful way. Now, before we, we go on, the reason that we can reflect, the reason that we can 
uh, do what Je- reflect on Christ's forgiveness and do what Jesus did and check our idols, it's because God has given to the Christian forgiveness that we do not deserve. It's a forgiveness that has come without our asking for it, but he gives it freely. 